Hello and welcome to the Produce Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nickel, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Josh Padilla, Director of Produce at Marketplace Bermuda. Josh has also led produce at Cinderella in New York and at Garrity's in Pennsylvania. His career has also included Crasdeal Foods, Whole Foods Market, and Pathmark Supermarkets. Josh, thank you so much for making the time to visit with me today, and welcome to the podcast. Awesome. Thank you, Axel. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So first of all, I wanted to ask you, did you ever think that produce was going to take you to Bermuda? Oh, no, never, never, never (laughs) did. You know, it's like, yeah, definitely was, um, it's been a pretty interesting uh, experience to be quite honest. You know, when I first thought coming to Bermuda, be under a palm tree shooting POs, that's far from it. So yeah. (laughs) Josh, I was looking over your LinkedIn before we hopped on the phone today, and you provided some great detail about some of the different projects that you've done over the course of your career. And I know there are lots of success stories from from over the years, but I thought today we could focus on what you've been doing these last three years at the Marketplace Bermuda. And I'm sure when you joined the company, you had kind of a vision for, for you know how to not only grow produce sales, but enhance the reputation of Marketplace Bermuda's produce departments. And so I was curious, when you came on as director of produce, what were sort of your first priorities? Um, I think for, well, the first priority was to know the team and the culture. I mean, you're coming from the U.S., right? And you're going to basically a different country uh, for the most part. Uh, so you need to learn what the culture is and, and, and sort of what the reputation of the company is among a lot of the, the, the community and whatnot. So before, and then also kind of assess the team and some of the shortcomings or some of the strengths that your team has in order to sort of take that first step forward and trying to revamp the whole entire operation and assortment. So, I mean, the first four to five months was basically just see what's, 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 what's strong, what works, what doesn't work, what's broken. And then, just kind of figure it out from there. So that was like basically the first six months of my tenure. Uh, then after that, it was sort of taking, I would say, the low-hanging, going after low-hanging fruit uh, and trying to sort of adjust our assortment, our merchandising, and then also our, our, our people people uh, at, uh, at store level. Very neat. And on the, on the procurement side, I thought it was really interesting, the mention of cross-stock programs, because supply chain optimization, of course, is always a big opportunity. How did you work on improving those? Well, we, first of all, we switched. The first thing we did was we switched suppliers, right? So we had been being supplied by Wigfern. Uh, we decided to sort of up our, our game and go with our more higher end uh, retail, like Four Seasons Produce, you know, really start aligning ourselves with some of the name brands in the States, whether it be Driscoll's or Sunkiss or Pretty Lady Grapes and or Dole or Foxy. And so those are some of the things that we, you know, we decided that we needed to do in order to sort of up our game and start, you know, going after, I think, uh, what we call is value. And what does value mean? It's quality, my quality and price meet, right? And so that was, I think, one of the things that we needed to start doing, start learning sort of that expertise of what works and doesn't work. Um, and then sort of after that, sort of start taking steps of controlling our own destiny. Uh, for example, right now we buy our avocados, uh, all our avocados up front on our own, and we cross stock it through Four Seasons Produce, right? So those are some of the things that over the years we've had, had to learn because at the end of the day, uh, the data is there uh, we've grown the data we've built some of the 
um, the expertise in order to get that done through our warehouse by training our warehouse team, get it done right by shooting the, the trucks into into the, into the island across all, all our stores. Also, that's kind of what what we needed to do in order to kind of up our game. Well, and I'm curious too, Josh, when you mentioned some of those those bigger brand names and produce, were those important for your assortment because customers were familiar with those names or because of the the quality of those brands, if that makes sense? You know, it's a little bit of both, right? So uh, I think more is, is, is my expertise of who the right players are, right? So, you know, uh, we all know, you know, when you want to get the, the, the prime crop of the of, of each category and each commodity, you know who to go to, right? So kind of your Driscoll is your your premier guy for strawberries. I think Sunkiss, I many people would probably disagree with what I'm about to say, but Sunkiss is I think the premier guy when it comes to comes to um um the citrus category and the varieties uh that they have. And so for me it was more of like, okay, we need to expand the assortment. We need to improve our quality. We need to align ourselves with some of the key players in the industry. And I think that was sort of, you know, what I set down to do by aligning ourselves with, you know, four seasons and also with some of these um, leaders in, in these certain commodities. Well, and something that that jumped out to me again, as, as I kind of looked over uh, that a description on your LinkedIn was the the goal to make the marketplace a, a destination for foodies and for chefs. And so clearly, obviously, kind of the overall quality and, and specs are part of that. But it also mentioned bringing in specialty produce. How did you approach that? All right. So, yeah, so we actually work uh, with Baldor too, right? So we have a, a specialty program with Baldor. So, you know, we, we bring in some unique items, whether it's just BC Shizu peppers or some Rambutan or... Um, you know, some other key items. And these are just one-offs here and there. And, and like, for example, I was the first one on the island to bring Carolina Reapers. Like oh. Robin from, uh, yeah, from uh, Baldor. And I sold them out in five minutes. People were just requesting it. I just didn't have enough supply to get to get through the island. So so those are some of the things, you know, that 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 I, that I hone in on um, as far as these one-offs and two-offs. Just trying to find these unique items and, you know, and try to build a niche, niche around them, right? So... So that's kind of how I approached it by, you know, aligning with so Baldor and Baldor, as you know, and in, in, in the Northeast are really sort of really restaurant oriented and they really want to bring these niche items and chefs and, you know, from my career of working with food service individuals, you know, they want what they want. And, and that was sort of my approach. And I think that, you know, when somebody goes to a restaurant and they try something, they want to replicate it at home. And, you know, I think that was, has been, one of the things we've we've done here at Marketplace is try to get that those one-offs and two-off items, you know, into our store so the customer can have some differentiation on their plate. You know, potatoes every day is not a good thing. You know what I mean? So <laughs> now when you're deciding what to bring in, sort of sort of in that vein, is it items that that you feel are interesting, or do you guys get a lot of requests from folks for, like you said, sort of these one-off, two-off kind of items? All right, so so it's it, so Bermuda is a little bit different than in the states, right? So in the states, you can just buy anything. You know, you have to kind of number one here. You have to see what the interests are of the people. You have to believe in the item. You have to believe in some of the data that you you see upon, and you need you know whether it's a chef on the Food Network that's pushing that particular item or whatnot. And then after that, when you kind of decide you want to pull the trigger, you have to ensure that it, from a regulatory compliance here on the island, um, you know. 
um, that is an item to go. For example, I mean, like dragon fruit, it's really hard to get into Bermuda um, just because it just doesn't meet some of the standards uh, for uh, bugs and, and whatnot that the government here in Bermuda kind of uh, places upon it. So those are kind of, so it's a little bit much, a little bit harder um, to try to get some of these niche items in there into Bermuda. But you know, for the most part, when we do get them in, you know, they are items that are, are successful, whether it be guava, whether it be pepino melons or, or whatnot. So we, we do have some successes there. That is wild. Well, and I was curious too, it sounded like another another sort of uh, enhancement to to the assortment that you all made was was introducing floral. Tell me a little bit about that process. Oh, well, the floral, and, uh, we introduced a little bit of floral in there. I, I remember it was a couple of Valentines before, um, you know, and, and uh, we try to do, we try to bring it in ourselves. It was a little bit complicated, a little bit hard. We didn't know really um, the regulatory compliance of, of it. So it, it, it was successful, but we learned out of it. So what we decided to do is work with third-party individuals here on the island who have that expertise um, here and, you know, definitely want more of, I would say, kind of uh, more exposure and more locations within within their store. They want to just be in their own floral shop, but they can also sort of build some satellites, uh, you know, uh, satellite retail space in in our stores and that's kind of how we, we we approached it just because again the, the we just don't have that level of expertise to get through get the floral through the regulatory compliance um of of you know regulations of the Bermudian government that makes sense what else what's been the what's been just the most fun for you about coming in and and sort of reimagining the assortment and and what you want to offer those customers that like you said you spent about six months kind of getting to know who they are and and what they're looking for. You know, I think one of the some of the exciting parts is is that you just don't know, right? You know what I mean. So you know, you look at some of the data that comes out of you know the journals like Produce Business or you know. Uh, you can name other ones in there, uh, Blue Book or whatever, right? And, and and you start reading that. That doesn't apply to here in Bermuda, right? You know, I mean, like Sumo Citrus, for example. Uh, you know, I brought it into Bermuda thinking it would have the same sort of rave that it has in the U.S. It really did not. I mean, um, so, yeah, so it really didn't work, work out the way it needed to work out, right? So, for example, another thing, you know, in the, in the States, you know, Idaho russet potatoes are number one, right? Here in Bermuda, it's red potatoes all the way. So, it, 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 it kind of, it's kind of a little different. Sometimes you try to, I guess, you know, it, here you have to live and learn. And that's kind of the exciting part because there's a lot of unknowns. Uh, and so, you know, you just have to kind of figure it out and just try to make the best of it. Even if you fall on your face, you take some learning learning lessons out of that. Um, of that of experience and just go from there that's super interesting about sumos because for me those are one of my favorite like new things in recent years what what do you think it was that that didn't resonate with with the folks in bermuda oh i think it was a couple of things i think number one it was an ugly looking fruit and number two it's the price point right so you know we're um you know again um a lot of the logistics you know that go into bringing product into bermuda you know is, it, it drives at the price so you're talking about 3.99 4.99 for one piece of fruit right so people they better taste really well right so that's kind of one of the one of the reasons why it doesn't resonate you know what i mean so uh, i think it's 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 also, it takes time where it took, you know, sumo citrus, what, maybe 
five to seven years for it to catch on. Um, you know, I think slowly it will catch on. I think as the prices continue to drop, I think that eventually um, that um, Pedosumo Citrus will be successful. I'm not saying that there's nobody that doesn't like it. I mean, there's are people like it, but just the price is just a little bit, you know, keeps them from, um, I say, pampering themselves on a, on a day-to-day, right? It's just an occasional piece of fruit, so yeah. Sure, sure. Well, and y- you mentioned about pricing and, and how the transportation and things play into that. What's been your experience dealing with that and how that figures into assortment and, and what you're looking at from a supply chain perspective? Well, I mean, it's it's a lot. I mean, you basically, I mean, you take the trucks coming from, you know, for let's say Four Seasons Warehouse, for example, when it goes onto a boat, you know, it cubing wise and see if that also that product is exempt from taxation, uh, uh, you know, based on, on the custom duties that Bermuda charges on certain products. And then you go from from there, right? And so sometimes, you know, um, it, it it depends on 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 those things whether the price is, is going to be strong or not, right? For example, you know, a box of blueberries here, one pint is seven ninety nine, right? Uh, regular avocados right now is three forty nine each, and bananas are two dollars and eighty nine cents a pound. So you know, you fig- yeah, you so you figure some of the pricing there. You know, I mean. Um, I always tell people people this from a retail standpoint that um, had I come, you know, first to Bermuda early in my career when I got to the states, it would have been perfectly easy. Um, also, part of the supply chain too is you know you have to understand that um, some product has four days more on it. So when you take, for example, strawberries uh, from California to the East Coast, you're taking where maybe wait three to five days, give or take, right? So then you have to pull, put another four days additional. On, on it, right? So you have strawberries in nine days, so you have a lot more mold, you have a lot more, you know, defect than when, when it got to the East Coast. And so that figures out a lot. So shrink here in, 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 in Bermuda is a lot more higher than it is in the, in the States. So the pricing as far as, you know, um, like I said, custom duties and whatnot is, is a, little, a lot more higher because, again, we have to protect our margins and we have to, you know, definitely pay our bills. So that's kind of where we're at. So... I'm curious, are are there any items that you've decided, you know what, for for as long as the shelf life ends up being for us on this and for as much as we have to shrink out, uh, maybe it's not worth having in our assortment. Have there been any like exclusions just because of the logistics? Um, we, we, you know, working with Four Seasons and with West Jones Jr., um, you know, uh, we, we, we still continue on bringing highly perishable products in. Uh, what we've done is prorate them, right? Depending on defect, right? So if I have a, a berry report that says, hey, 10% defect, bruising this amount, we'll cut it by 50%, you know, put it on the shelves and sort of an in and out, in and out. And I think the, the, the Bermudian uh, customer has kind of gotten accustomed to that because they understand that the logistics behind getting product fresh every day is just impossible to do. So they understand that if you have strawberries, you don't have strawberries one day. It's just part of life, of island life, right? Whereas in the States, it's not the case, right? People will be like, you know, going crazy. Like, wow, well, what do you mean you don't have any strawberries, right? So so that's kind of, you know, you know, I think working the relationships along also with Baldor, who would tell me, hey, Josh, this product isn't looking so good. What do you want to do? Rather than just ship it over, it's just, you know, and creating some necessary shrink and and, and losses and bad will around. We just kind of just say, hey, just got got the product. You know, just send. We'll we'll, we'll work on the next delivery uh, on that. So yeah, so it's a lot of information. There's a lot of partnership. There's a lot of work that goes on to among all the vendors because we want to do what's right. 
you know, we don't want to waste our time, you know, shipping bad product into the, into, into the island. And we also don't want to put that bad product on the shelf and then have a customer take it home and complain and return it. So, yeah. That makes sense. What are some other aspects to, to being on an island that just influence the daily operations in way that, in, you know, in ways that if you're from the continental U.S., maybe never would cross your mind? Labor, um, you know, labor has been a, a very a huge issue for us. You know, um, they're, they're, the Bermudian government has really strict controls on immigration. And so it's very hard to kind of, you know, get people onto the island to work as produce managers, assistant produce managers. I um, mean, I know the states is also suffering from a shortage, too. So we have to compete with, with the states on, on top of, you know, having this, you know, this immigration process. I mean, it lasts almost three months. For a person to, well, I mean, they fill an application and, and it gets approved by the Bermudian government on the island. So it takes a long time, and so so there's a shortage of talent. Um, you know that that kind of we struggle with a little bit on a day to day basis, but we make it work. You know, we make it work with the people that we have. We have really we have really strong teams um, that do their job day to day basis, and and yeah, so definitely. I mean, right now we I have uh, three females on the team running running departments uh so so yeah so you know definitely um i think labor has been sort of a struggle of, of of island life and especially you know the expense of being on an island um you know definitely it's also a struggle there too so yeah so that's kind of what i kind of just struggle with is just trying to find that good talent talented team that really want to uh, you know kind of push the agenda and sort of face some of the challenges here in bermuda well, and I want to touch on something real quick, and this might be the the world's dumbest question, Josh. So excuse me if it is, but I, you know, obviously inflation here in the U.S. has been crazy in recent years. Same thing in Bermuda, or more so, or less so. Give or take, right? So yeah, inflation has been you know been struggle all over the world, and, and it affects us too, right? In Bermuda, I mean, it affects us even more, right? So because just the price points compared to the states. I mean, I'm in the states right now, and I'm looking at a, a Poland Spring gallon of water being a dollar twenty five. Well, the same gallon of water in Bermuda is four is four ninety nine, right? So you know, so you know, so some of it is inflation, some of it is just the cost of doing business, and and it affects. Support more, you know, much, much, much more because again, gas prices and and whatnot, you know, that all that going up is is, is gets added on at the end, right? And you can only compress so margins so much before you start really losing money. So, so yeah, so yeah, inflation has has struggled. I mean, you could probably run an analysis of you know when I first got there compared to the pricing compared back then to what it is now. I could probably see some huge pricing increments uh, across the board. So yeah. Well, and when you mentioned when you mentioned labor, and you mentioned you have se- several women leading teams, uh, that was something else that that I noticed in your LinkedIn was you know you were proud of it and really took a specific approach to to have a more diverse produce leadership team. What made that a- an important goal for you? Well, I, you know, uh, definitely, uh, I think a lot of it had to do with just having just I guess it, I would say. A, a, a woman's touch to the department, right? I think that uh, when it comes to produce, I think women are are a lot more uh, better than males. I can't believe I'm saying this, but anyway, um, but uh, you know, because you know, I think they're they they just affinity of you know what they want to chop with and things like that too. And there's other things that are just much more cleaner, much more organized, much more better merchandisers, and 
for, for me in my own experience, that's what I what I what I've experienced. And so for me, the ladies that work for me, yeah, they run probably the best departments in on the island, and they they do a great great job for me. Um, so yeah, so we have Chelsea. Uh, she's from the USA, so she's been interviewed in, in your podcast. I have Melanie Black from South Africa, and then I have Christine Chin that she's actually Filipino, Filipino background. So they do a fantastic job for me on a day to day basis. They're really business oriented. They really want to push sales and they really want to do a good job all the time. And and from a performance standpoint, they're better than some of the guys that I have. So sorry, guys. <laughs> That it sound it sounds like the fact that you have that perception means you must have worked with a lot of great women throughout your career in produce. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, so definitely if I had, I've had exposure exposure to them, and you know, definitely, um, you know, they they've done a great job for me. Whether it be Whole Foods working for me, out of cut fruit or packing out as merchandisers, or even in Pathmark, you know, they did they've done a great job. And just again, it's just the experience of what they want, right? You know. To, I mean, they're very picky. They're really clean and do all those things. I mean, it's just, yeah, they, and they're just no nonsense. They don't no nonsense whatsoever. They just want to go in there, do what they have to do, and just leave. So yeah, yeah. Well, and I find it super interesting that you mentioned each one of those three ladies that you mentioned is is from somewhere different. When when your sort of overall workforce there in Bermuda. It sounds like it's it's a diverse group, people from all over the world cu- coming there. Is that is that about right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, right now I have, uh, like I said, I have one from the Philippines, one from South Africa, and one from the U.S. I have two from uh, from the Bermudians, another two that are Filipino, and then one that's from Jamaica. Right? That's kind of how diverse my produce uh, leadership team is. Right? You know what I mean? So. So yeah, we we will have to work again because of just trying to get you know talent from all the world. We just don't go to U.S. and just get that talent, but we also go around the world and try to procure talent elsewhere, right? Whether it be Latin America, whether it be you know Asia, or whether it be you know in Africa. So so we're trying to just try to build that leadership team, and you know, and they all bring their their own uniqueness to them, right? So right now we're interviewing some guy from India, right? So. So yeah, so that hopefully you know he wants you know wants to join the team and you know definitely that would bring an even even more diverse uh, you know team to ourselves. So so again it, it, you know definitely and and it helps me too because you know just working with just different people helps improve the communication because you have to start, start say you can't say certain things in a certain way that you're used to in the US, right? You have to kind of maybe they're gonna say it this way or that way, right? So so it's helped me develop me also as a leader, right? Um, you know because. Um, these people might, you know, the Filipinos, for example, they, they're not really open to criticism. And so you have to kind of approach them a little bit different, right? Bermudians are from Bermuda. Here comes this guy from the U.S., you know, uh, you know, so he's an outsider, right? So you got to approach it a little bit different. So again, it's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's maybe I think this whole experience, like I said, had I done this earlier in my career, would probably have been beneficial for me for the rest of my career had it come after because it just has helped me become stronger. Um, in a sense that, you know, from a communication standpoint, diverse standpoint and whatnot. And is that, uh, that diversity, is that pretty representative of the customer base too? Or are those folks mainly folks who have, you know, grown up in Bermuda? No, it's, 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 it's also reflective, right? So you have sort of the financial, um, I would say the financial net, uh, sector, here in Bermuda, um, that you know, mostly English, American, Canadian. You have some Spanish from Spain, EU, and whatnot. Then you have sort of the tourism sector, right, and the workers that need to come 
for the tourism and that could be diverse also. Then you have Bermudians in there, right? So do you have a lot of diversity when it comes comes around? Not not as compared to the northeast of New York, but you do have some diverse diversity in order to sort of build a support network to sort of, you know, the two those two main industries that you have in Bermuda, which is the financial sector reinsurance sector and then you have sort of the mature center that needs to be sort of also supported and 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 whatnot so so that's one of our roles as marketplaces to sort of go in there and supply groceries not just for those two sectors but just for everybody in general yeah well it sounds like the the fact that that's sort of what, what the population is that the fact that your team reflects that has to be huge in terms of even thinking about you know what what kind of assortment maybe is relevant to folks from this place or folks from that place and you have people on your team from those places. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, you know, um, so it's just, again, you know, some people just, you have to be diverse in, in what you do. Right. And sort, sort of, you know, bring in different, you know, different product. I mean, for example, I, I, I thought in the island there was no Spanish. So there's actually Spanish, right? So you bring a little bit for them, right? You bring a little bit for the Indians. You bring a little bit for Filipinos, right? And you have, you know, you, British and you have Americans. You bring a little bit for them too. So so it's been a very, like I said, a very interesting experience overall, you know, uh, you know, definitely from, from not just a leadership standpoint and team development, but also from an assortment standpoint. So what some things that don't that work in the US don't work here whatsoever. Um, you know, it's just how it is. Well, and from the team standpoint too, um, something else that that caught my attention and I, I know is relevant in the US, just like it is there, is the idea of succession planning, trying to, like you said, build that team overall, but also build expertise and and future leaders in in, in that team. How have you approached that? Well, you know, that's one of the missing links that I have um, right now that we're trying to sort of tackle, right? We've had a very tough time in, in, in losing key players and teams uh, overall in the last couple you know, months and whatnot, and trying to replace them has been a little bit difficult. But definitely working with our training department in HR to try to, you know, get some, some you know, identify some key people, not just in produce, but across the company and across the, uh, the country uh, to try to get people to move into these positions of leader, whether it be, you know, sort of a process where they become, hey, they become assistant produce manager, produce manager eventually, you know, once they've conquered that, become an assistant store manager, yada, yada. You know, it's definitely been uh, something that, you know, has been a little bit more forthcoming. Again, I need the bodies to fill this new position. And that's been a little bit of a struggle, like I mentioned before, which is just trying to get people to sort of, go into these positions and, you know, and, and own them. Right. And, 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 and make their career, you know, with marketplace. So, so yeah. Gotcha. What are some of the, what are some of your learnings from, cause I, I, I know the, the labor challenges and especially here in the U S have been particularly acute lately, but I know it's been a topic for, for quite a few years now. Have you seen any particularly successful efforts just over the years, different places in your career of, you know, what really drives people to to come to a place and stay and, and develop themselves, you know, with that one company? I think I think there's a lot of variables, right? Number one is culture, right? I think, you know, what what is the culture, right? And and is it culture where we empower people to sort of, you know, you 
you you support people so and you take care of them so then they can in turn take care of their people uh take care of the customer right so i think that's one one important aspect of of culture i think the other thing is you know um opportunities for mobility right whether it be you know across the company or within the department and whatnot right so that i think that is also a different approach right uh team development or team member of development will will does the company give the proper tools for the individual to sort of advance themselves and push themselves and 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 and, and drive themselves to the next level right are they always hires a team member and that's always what they're going to say because there's not opportunity to hate it hey if you want to take a business course at a college or university you know you can go for it and the company will pay for that right and i think pay and benefits is very very important too right so you know uh people believe that when they look at their paycheck it's uh, this company showing appreciation right and so do they have some flexibility and time off and and ptos and 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 things like that and holidays and so I think that is sort of the overall package of what someone would be looking for to stay in a particular company. I mean, that's what I look for, right? So, um, and it, so, so definitely, you know, and, and, and again, you know, and also I think one last component of that is, is, is the willingness of the company's leadership to listen to their people, right? So sometimes, you know, you know, some organizations like to operate, operate from the top to bottom down and these push stuff down but i think a successful company was willing to hear from you know get some of the ideas being pushed from the bottom up you know and 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 i think those companies are successful because you know when they listen to their people you know they definitely can can execute some of the ideas that they have and, and enhance because at the end of the day you know executive CEO is not on is not in the trenches with with his people, right? The people are in the trenches with their customers, and they they're going to be eyes and ears, and they always say, "Hey, this is this idea is not great, or this idea is awesome, or maybe this is something we should be looking into because you know um, the people are asking for it or requesting it." So I think that's a whole whole package. That makes sense, and I'm curious too, just sort of along those lines of of best practices i know in in my career which i won't delve too deeply into this and 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 bore everybody but every boss that i've worked for there's been little things that i've taken away taken away kind of filed away and, and inform you know just being shaped professionally right i'm curious for you from all the different places that you've been what are some of like your your favorite learnings from the different places you've been that have sort of shaped how you've approached being in this this leadership role that you've been in for for a number of years now at, at various retailers? I think communication. I, I think one of the things I I, I, I do is that I sometimes I over communicate, but at least everybody knows we're all on the same page and whatnot, right? So um, definitely, you know, I also have an open line. Um, you know, for example, let's go back to how I communicate with my guys. You know, I do daily notes for them on WhatsApp, right? And then go in there on their own leisure and see what's going on on a daily basis. What what our objectives for the day should be? What are some of the issues that, that they should be looking at? And, you know, and, and, and some of the, the things they should be tackling on a day-to-day basis, right? And some, some of the things are repetitive. Some things are brand new. It all depends. And then after that, they get sort of their weekly notes at the end of the week, which sort of sets them up for the next week. Or these are the new items. These are the new things that are happening. Yes, this is one the schedules do. Some of it needs to be repetitive, right? And then I think the final component is sort of that open line communication. 
information to me, right? So all my guys understand that they can pick up the phone and call me right away. There's an issue or not, whatnot, you know? So, so I think that was one of the major key points that, that I take, take, take at. Also, I think one of the things is flexibility. Also, you can't be rigid in some of your positions and, and some of the, the thought process you need to sort of look at, you know, what other people are thinking or saying. And so, you know, sometimes we, we want to say, well, we, this has got to work. This has worked everywhere. Well, not really, right? Being rigid, that's a sort of a rigid viewpoint. Um, sort of being flexible, you know, then makes you sort of, all right, maybe that might not work here. Maybe that might be different here. Maybe, yeah, maybe refrigerating the tomatoes might be a good practice. And good I'm just saying, right? Not that it is, but, you know, but maybe that might be something that we should be doing, right? So so some things like that are, 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 are you know, just having that level of flexibility instead of that rigidness. And just seeing people for what they are, people, right? Just having that humane that humanistic approach to them, right? You know, people come in there to having a bad day or you don't know what's going on in their life and whatnot. And just come in there and just talk to them, see what's going on. For you know, sometimes they just go in there and just, oh, my Josh is here. Oh, don't worry about him. I'm here. So what? You know what I mean? So let's hold that. Let's go get a cup of coffee. Let's let's see what's up. What's going on? Let's have a let's have a conversation about sports or you know or how what's the new you new uh the new dance of the day right? So um so yeah, it's, I think those are some of the approaches that I've talked from talked from some of my strong leaders and also some of their shortcomings. I've also taken them and said, Man, I don't think I should. I would do it that way, right? I would do it this way instead, right? So yeah, so it's been very. I think my career has been very fulfilling. Just basically working with a lot of different people, a lot of different approaches, you guys that are hands off, guys that are too hands off, guys that are too detail oriented and whatnot. Right. So, so yeah, so it's been, I, I think that I've, those are some of the key things that I've taken from them. Well, and I thought your comment about flexibility is so interesting. Cause I, I think probably everybody, right. The further they get into their career, the more they're like, Oh, different, different approaches to this will work. It doesn't, it doesn't actually have to be, this one way what are some of the some of the areas where you feel like particularly this job being in such a different area so many considerations that again aren't a thing necessarily in the continental U.S. what are some of the biggest ways this role has stretched you Oof, wow I mean I wear a lot of hats right you know category manager I'm a buyer I'm a director I'm even a spiritual guide right so, um, so yeah. So with that being said, I mean, it's, it's really stretched me to a point that, you know, I'm like, I have more white hair than I've ever had before. Um, so yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So, so, so I, I mean, you, you kind of have to fill th- those different capacities and whatnot. And the, and the approaches are different. One guy will be open to a more criticism than another guy, right? Uh, another guy might want to have one, one, a lot more attention than the other guy, right? So you have to kind of put, 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 like that i mean you know it's a little bit different in the states where you know operations falls in a, a different realm a director really doesn't you know purse director is more of a buyer procurement guy category manager here I'm, i've had to take operations under 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 my way and so it's a lot more day-to-day basis of talking with the department managers and seeing what's up with them and you know listening to their frustrations you know visiting their stores and you know talking to them and how they're feeling and and it's yeah, it's a lot more different. So that's kind of how I've stretched. So along with the work, the work is the work, right? And it's <laughs> sort of I say here, you know, you manage people a little bit different and whatnot. So, well, and I'm curious what that experience has been like. Like you said, wearing all those different hats. On the one hand, it's a lot going on. Of course, it's a lot of balls in the air. In addition to sort of the the title role. 
on the other hand, you're so immersed in the business, I imagine that you must have like a better pulse on things than probably most people would have sort of in that top role. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. So I, I know everything, you know what I mean? It's like I'm omnipresent, even if I'm not in the store. Um, so, yeah, so definitely a lot of on the pulse, uh, have my fingers on the pulse, whether it be price changes, where product moves, it doesn't move. Um, you know, you have a lot more initiatives, a lot about more programs. Um, you know, I mean, there was one time I was writing a schedule for all the stores. You know what I mean? Like literally, like I was manning. I was like, I can't do this. It's just too much, right? So, so yeah. So you know, I've given some of that away a little bit uh, to, to to other people to do because at the end of the day, I don't have you know a certain amount of hours per day to get that stuff up. I mean, it's hard by priorities. And right now, just looking at right now how to make marketplace better um, is, is what, what I should be sort of looking at my sort of that more visionary kind of, so yeah, we are looking for somebody that can, you know, fill my shoes on a day-to-day business sort of nitty gritty in the trenches. Um, so that way I can focus on what we, what we need to make, make marketplace stronger in the long run and how that's going to, how long, how is that going to look like from a process standpoint and a people standpoint? Well, so Josh, we've covered some of the stuff, like I said, that was that was written down and already out there. What's next? What what's on your brain for sort of that that vision of of the next steps that you guys will be taking at marketplace? Oh uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm just trying to finish the year out. So with a with a bang. I mean, I mean, for example, you know, um, this year we'll be planning for Thanksgiving. For example, you know, Thanksgiving has become a really strong holiday here in Bermuda. Um, where it's not celebrated, it's not on a calendar, but it seems to every year it starts it's picking up sales from, from my opinion. So yeah, so you know, doing that would would probably I would say the next step, right? I just try to figure out do we you know do we do a Thanksgiving planning similar or Christmas planning or you know something something maybe around like Easter or whatnot, right? Do we do that here? Well, I am at least in my department. We're going to plan it a lot better and try to see if we can get, you know, uh, a little bit more traction because last year we just were not prepared for it. We, you know, again, Thanksgiving is all about eating, right? So what the like people like to do. Eat. So yeah. yeah so. Well, in, I'll ask you just one more and then we can wrap up. Cause I think I might've already taken you past our time here, Josh. Well, I'm but... charging you. You're getting billed for it now. Uh Oh, uh Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm just curious when you mentioned planning, uh, lead times. It, how much different being there in Bermuda with the transportation and some of those things, uh, or is that basically the same process as in the U.S.? Ooh. No, so lead times are a lot more, a lot more longer, right? So you know, like we're talking about our orders for this week are for the following week, right? So it's hard for us to really figure things out on a team, right? Because again. We also have some some regulatory compliance that we need to hit Bermuda. So, for example, if they put potatoes on embargo because the local grower is growing them, all of a sudden, if that embargo comes off, then it's a mad rush to try to get product, right? So that ends up being one of the logistical issues that we have, right? And then, you know, you know, uh, shortages in the United States, prices go up and up and fluctuation of supply us a little bit too so and then let's say yeah i had 20 cases of tomatoes last week and all of a sudden you know i only ordered 10 well that's not enough because i sold out so so it's 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 worse i mean i less like i said before when i started i wish i was here in bermuda first before going to the ask because you only get two deliveries in bermuda a week 
in a week out. Whereas in the States, I order today, I get my truck tomorrow, right? And I focus on my inventory that I have today and I get it tomorrow. So it's a lot more tougher, a lot harder. Um, it's not much challenging, um, you know, to try to keep our shelves full and be consistent. A lot of it is, you know, off the wing and, and yeah, there's a process. He has to sell five pieces of tomatoes every week and things like that. And it's kind of the same process, but you know, there are some, some deviations to that. Right. And some, um, so, so yeah, so we end up sometimes getting shortfall on product. We might not have product until two weeks from now. Um, you know, like right now, there's a shortage of blueberries in the states, and so we're, we're, we're struggling with that, right? Uh, trying to get blueberries from a persistent basis. So, so yeah, so it's a lot more, a lot more harder, yeah, here in the unit than it is in the U.S. So that's a so that's a real unique dynamic where you have, you know, like you said, you've got your historical data to forecast, but there's there's a lot less margin for error just because of the the delivery cadence. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, we get two boats. Maybe for example, I'll tell you last week. Um, one of the, the hurricanes um, was within the shipping lanes and the boats held, held, held back, right? So we only mm-hmm. had one ship, right? Oh, sh- and then we, yeah, so we, we had to fly product in, um, which is expensive, right, to do in order to get product on the shelves and whatnot, yeah. right? Then you're talking about, you know, date sensibility, for example. A lot of the dated salad companies only guarantee 14 days. Well, we lose four days just from shipping shipping across seas, right? So yeah. if stuff is short-coded, guess what, you know? So there's a lot more dynamic here in Bermuda. It's a lot much tougher from a procurement standpoint because of just having two ships, right? And then if one breaks down, like what happened last week also, or one ship broke down, we only had one ship. And again, we had to fly product in. So, so yeah, so, 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 so those are some of the dynamics that you have to play. So it's a lot more, you know, when you have one ship, it's a lot less room for error because if you're shorted on that, on that ship delivery, guess what? You don't have that product until the following ship, which is the following. Wow. So it sounds like what you're telling me, Josh, is you've been in produce for many, many years. You're still learning. Yeah, I'm still learning. Yeah, there's something new. <laughs> There's always a new curveball. There's an, always a new approach of doing things. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, you know, like I said, it, Bermuda has been a really good experience, um, you know, for me. Um, you know, sometimes I I to say, what what did I do? Um, but most of the junction is, is I, I think this has been sort of, it's fit very perfectly in my career at the time, um, you know, because I've learned a lot, you know, from this. And, and, and some of the challenges that, you know, that we have here from a curse standpoint, and uh, are much, much more tougher and much more profound than it is in the States where, oh, my God, my tr- I missed my truck yesterday. Well, you're getting it tomorrow. You know what I mean? So, you know, whereas we're, we're not getting until like two weeks now, right? So so that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. I feel like that would be a tough job for somebody without the years of experience and having gone through a lot of those things and learned a lot already about people management and all those other things. It, it sounds like they, they needed somebody of your, uh, of your experience in caliber. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But, but again, it took me a long time to get to this point, right? 25, almost 25 years. Right. So, so yeah. So make again, it's always a different approach. It's always a different attitude. And again, like I said, just being flexible, not being rigid is giving me that sort of, Hey, you know what? I can't approach Things like like you know, I've been approaching it back in New York or back in Pennsylvania. Just you can't. And it's got to be different, totally different. So yeah. Well, Josh, thank you so much for for taking the the time today to visit with me. This has been great. We've talked sporadically over the years and finally got to to meet in person or as you know as close as possible here uh, over the Zoom. 
and uh, wish you all the best. I will tell my listeners as well. I want to thank you for listening. And I've been reminding folks, if you are learning from or otherwise enjoying the podcast, please do write and review. That helps me keep it rolling, keep bringing in awesome, super knowledgeable folks like Josh uh, that we can all learn from in this crazy produce retail world. And with that, we'll say goodbye and see everybody again next week on the Produce Retail Podcast. <laughs>